You know, one of our practices that is a bit unusual in the evangelical world today is the weekly celebration of the Lord's Supper. As you're no doubt aware, most churches offer the elements on a a monthly or quarterly schedule. Their feeling is that the weekly observance makes it too commonplace, and uh, it is therefore taken much too lightly. By making it uh, less frequent, they hope to keep it something special. But while their intention is honorable, I think their logic is a bit faulty. You know, if less frequent practice of religious observances makes them more meaningful, it follows that prayer should perhaps be limited to a monthly exercise. And uh, maybe those who gather for worship only on Christmas and Easter are right. Uh, But I doubt it. I doubt it. You know, according to Acts 20, verse 7, the early church met specifically on the first day of the week to break bread. And we follow that practice. However, the warning issued by others must not be ignored because the Lord's Supper can become commonplace if we allow it to. It can become ritualistic, empty of meaning. And it's even possible to so abuse it that it would be better if we didn't observe it at all. That's what happened in Corinth. They had trouble at the table. And Paul was very upset about it. Let's look at the problem. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting with verse 17. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you. Because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you in in order that those who are approved may have become evident among you. Therefore... When you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this, I will not praise you. Paul says they were coming together for the worse. It would have been better if they had not come together at all. What they were doing when they gathered was hurting. The cause of Christ. What an indictment 
against a church meeting and against a communion service at that. Paul had heard that there were divisions in the church, that they had divided into little cliques and parties, and that that was evident even when they met for the Lord's Supper. Now, he's already dealt with some of the divisions in the Corinthian church. And he even concedes here that some differences of opinion are necessary in the church. Some factions, the word actually means heresies, are necessary because they serve to reveal the truth. They challenge us to think and drive us back to the Scriptures. But the divisions that were evident in the Lord's Supper were appalling. He says they weren't even really gathering for the Lord's Supper. They had ulterior motives and purposes for gathering together. Some were just there for a good time to eat with their friends. And others were just looking for a meal. You see, the early church had combined the Lord's Supper with what they called a love feast, a type of potluck. Everyone brought something, and they all shared it in a common meal, and then they concluded with an observance of the Lord's Supper, just as Jesus had done with his disciples following the Passover meal. Now, this is for the most part a beautiful time of, of fellowship and, and a wonderful experience of, of unity and love. You know, there were people from all classes and standings in the church, from slaves to government officials, and the love feast gave opportunity for them to share with one another, to be one body on a very practical level. But in Corinth, something had gone haywire. The wealthy were arriving early and eating their meals all by themselves. And the slaves were coming in hungry, just looking for leftovers. And then, after some were drunk, having gorged themselves with food and wine, and while Others were still hungry. They would celebrate the Lord's Supper. And it was shameful. Paul said, don't you have houses in which to eat and drink? If you're going to behave like that, just stay home. Just stay home. He said they were despising the church of God with their behavior. They were shaming the poor and making a mockery out of the Lord's Supper. Now, we don't have that kind of problem today. The love feast disappeared centuries ago, and we seldom have problems at potlucks. Yeah. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> But you know, sometimes I do wonder about our attitude when we gather around the Lord's table. Do we take it too lightly? Is it just another part of our service? Something we do because we're supposed to? Or is it truly a time of communion with our Lord? You know, what are you 
really thinking about? What's really on your mind when you take the cup to your lips? And even more importantly, when communing with your Lord, are you in a good relationship with everyone else in the room? Is there any jealousy, bitterness, or animosity in your heart? You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that anyone who was presenting an offering at the altar and remembered that his brother had something against him, he was to leave his offering at the altar, go and be reconciled to his brother, and then come back and present the offering. Now, Jesus wasn't talking about the Lord's Supper there. But I don't think it would be an inappropriate application of Jesus' teaching to apply this to gathering around the Lord's table. If you gather for worship and it's time for the Lord's Supper and all you can think about is what someone did to you, what you did to them, or you're looking around, is he here, is she here? I think Jesus' instruction would be just to get up and walk out. Resolve the problem, and then come and worship and celebrate. You know, usually our poor attitudes and divisions are not as openly displayed as they were in Corinth. But if they exist at all, we better deal with them. You know, if, if Paul knew our hearts, as our Lord indeed already does, would he praise us? Or reprimand us. He couldn't praise the Corinthians. In fact, he felt it was necessary to once again remind them of the purpose for which the Lord's Supper was instituted. And obviously it won't hurt us to review those facts again also. Let's continue in the 11th chapter. Paul writes... For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. As often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, in order for us to participate in the Lord's Supper properly, it's important for us to understand what's behind it. So Paul takes us back to its origin. Now, how did Paul know what went on in the upper room? He wasn't there. 
Quite simply, Jesus told him. Jesus told him. You know, Paul had a unique relationship with the Lord. Since he was made an apostle after our Lord's earthly ministry, and apostles had to have been in direct contact with Christ, Jesus personally met with Paul after the ascension. In writing to the Galatians, Paul said of the gospel he preached that he never received it from men, nor was he taught it by others. But he had received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul knew what he was talking about. He had the inside track. Jesus told him what went on in the upper room. And I think it's interesting that his account of the Lord's Supper is the earliest account we have, having been written even before the Gospels. In fact, the words that Jesus spoke here, that Paul records, this is the first recording we have of Jesus' spoken words. I think it's really amazing. We find it in this letter to the Corinthians. So Paul knows what he's talking about. And he says, in the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks for it, broke it, gave it to the apostles, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, the King James Version adds the word broken, having Jesus say, this is my body, which is broken for you. But that doesn't appear in the best manuscripts, and it really shouldn't be included. You know, the Gospels make it very clear that no bone of Jesus was broken. In fact, it had been prophesied that no bone would be broken. So technically, Jesus' body wasn't broken for us. It was given for us. He took on the form of flesh in order to be able to die for us. And that's primarily what the bread is to remind us of. Jesus became flesh to become our Savior. Now, much debate has centered over the words, this is my body. You know, some hold that the bread actually becomes the body of Christ in a communion service. But obviously Jesus was there in the flesh when he held up the bread. And no one there would have assumed that the bread was actually his body. He was speaking symbolically, much as I would if I held up a picture of Marilyn and said, this is my wife. No one would assume that that little piece of cardboard is my wife. Okay? It's a picture of her. So the bread is a picture of Jesus' body, a symbol, a symbol that is filled with meaning. For not only does the bread remind us of Jesus' body being offered as a ransom for our sin, it also reminds us that Jesus is the bread of life, that Jesus sustains us as well as gives us life with his body. So whenever we take the bread, we not only remember what he did for us, but also what he continues to do for us. It's a picture of our past, 
present and future relationship with him. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And then Paul says, Jesus took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, obviously, the cup itself is not the covenant. It's a symbol. A symbol of what it cost for the new covenant to be put into effect. It's a symbol of Jesus' blood. Jesus not only took on the form of flesh for us, he shed his blood for us. And the fruit of the vine represents that. Again, very appropriately so. For just as the the cup has been bruised, crushed, and poured out, so was our Lord bruised at the hands of Roman soldiers, crushed under the weight of the cross. And so was his blood poured out for our sake. Now, every time we drink the fruit of the vine, we should think of what it costs our Lord to become our Savior. We should think of his blood, of his sacrificial death for us. And his death for all mankind. After all, when we partake, Paul says we are proclaiming the gospel. We are, in a very graphic way, telling others of the death of Jesus and what he means to us and what he did for them. So by all means... Let's be sure we do not despise his sacrifice by partaking in a disrespectful or irreverent manner. Let's be careful how we partake. And to make sure that we do that, Paul outlines a procedure for us to follow. Verse 27. Therefore... Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that you may not come together for judgment. And the remaining matters I shall arrange when I come. Now, this passage has a very stern warning for us. But it shouldn't scare us out of partaking, as I know it has for some. You know, Paul 
speaks of eating the bread and drinking the cup in an unworthy manner. Now, again, the King James confuses us here. It says unworthily. That has led some to worry about whether they are worthy to partake or not. Well, in no uncertain terms, no one is worthy to partake. It's only because of His grace that we can even approach Him. So don't worry about being worthy or not. You're not. Okay? Just be sure you partake in a worthy manner with proper respect and recognition of what it cost our Lord for you to be able to partake. Now, this is serious. Because partaking, Paul says, in an unworthy manner makes you guilty of profaning the body and blood of our Lord. You know, we are really offended when someone uses the Lord's name in a way that we feel is profane. How much more serious to profane the body and blood of Christ because we're off somewhere else and we're not here rightly discerning what's going on. It's pretty scary. We don't want to profane the body and blood of Christ. And quite frankly, that is why it's important that children not partake of the Lord's Supper until they're old enough to understand what Jesus did for them on the cross and to understand the significance of the Lord's Supper. Now, I don't believe that it's necessary for them to be immersed before they can partake. Any more than I think we have the right to refuse any believer a place at the table. Jesus died for children as well as adults. And if they want to remember in the Lord's Supper what Christ did for them... Even before they've reached the age of accountability, I think they ought to be allowed to do so. You know, as a general rule, our children didn't partake of the Lord's Supper in public worship. But when we were in a more controlled environment as a family, they did. Because they understood what was going on. Mom and Dad made sure they understood. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. So it's important. It's important that children and adults alike come to the table with the proper attitude. We must all examine ourselves before we come. Now, again, this is not to determine whether or not we are worthy to come, just to make sure we're coming with the right attitude understanding what we're doing and why we're doing it. Making sure that we are discerning the body rightly. Recognizing the importance of the symbol we're partaking of 
and recognizing the oneness we, ta- we, we are to express as the body of Christ in this very sacred meal. It's important how we partake. To do so in a wrong frame of mind can actually bring judgment in the form of divine discipline into our life. Paul says many in Corinth were weak and sick, and some apparently had even died because of their improper attitudes at the Lord's table. Now, that's a scary verse. But God does indeed discipline his children. Now, that doesn't mean every disease and hardship that comes our way has come for a disciplinary purpose. But it does behoove us to examine ourselves when these things befall us to see if God is trying to tell us something, particularly if there is an obvious sin that needs to be repented of. You know, God doesn't want to condemn us along with an unrepentant world, so he does discipline us, and he prompts us to maintain a life of faith and obedience. So Paul says, examine yourself, especially with regard to the Lord's Supper. Judge yourself so God won't have to. Come to the table with a proper attitude, remembering the reason for coming and recognizing your brother's right to be there with you. And then clear up Anything that's bothering you or distracting you before you partake. Examine yourself and resolve any issues that might exist between you and God and between you and man. Confess your sin. Make amends. Reaffirm your faith in Christ And then come before him with humility and gratitude. Then obviously, if you've not allowed the blood of Christ to cleanse you, do so. Accept his offer to cleanse you of your sin with his shed blood. And then come to his table in confidence that you have been washed whiter than snow. There's no condemnation when we're washed and we're clean in his presence. Thank God we can come to this table.